All right, Jabosai, good morning. Good morning, let us begin. We'll start by thanking our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors, Yoni and Shushi, Yoni and Shushi Ehrenfeld, for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drushos this month in memory of their grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron. To thank Mark Karstadt, our Tamatora sponsor, for dedicating the Shi'urim and Drushos this month in memory of his mother, Hanabas Shragai. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, Richard and Judy Nudelman, in honor of their granddaughter, Nechama Gittel's Bas Mitzvah, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, and by the Goldstein family, wishing Howard Goldstein a happy birthday. Mazel Tov, Howard, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. Adneve Esrim Shanim Tobos. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very special when I, when that's what a mishpach gives to a patriarch for a birthday present. Truly beautiful. Howard Zachisa. Zachisa. All right, and of course, we dedicate our learning, Le'ilui Nishmos, the 45 Kiddoshim, who perished in Meron Lagba Omer, and as the Levayas continue into today, as I mentioned before, today being a national day of mourning in Eretz Yisrael, it behooves us to dedicate our Torah, our Talmud Torah, Le'ilui Nishmas, some for the benefit of their Nishamas, for the benefit of the Mishpachos who have been left behind, and for the benefit of Klal Yisrael. And both say, again, as I mentioned before, you know, we said that Telem after Davening, Today is a national day of mourning, and it's, it's important. I, I don't know practically how that plays out, what that means in Israel, besides the flags being lowered, I'm sure, and manifests in a variety of ways. But it's important to understand that, what it, as I mentioned yesterday, even though we are still here, still, hopefully not, uh, not, not for too much longer, but we're still here, we are part of Am Yisrael and part of Eretz Yisrael. So it behooves us, even though today is a Sunday, and a Sunday, of course, is a wonderful day for relaxation and recreation, but it's very important for us to take a little bit of time out today also to be with our brethren in Eretz Yisrael. So whether it's that you take a little bit of additional time to be able to learn today, a little bit of an opportunity to recite some Kapit Lachav Tehillim, to daven a little bit more, to do some acts of chesed, to give tzedakah, whatever it is, but make sure over the course of the day, as Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael is mourning this terrible Chorban, we 6,000 miles away must mourn together. Because again, it's not their loss, it's our loss whether we're separated by geography or whether we're separated sometimes by religious divides, we are all one arm, we are all one nation, all one heart. We should be there for each other in times of simcha and in times of tsar. So we'll say with that, let us begin. So we have a beautiful daf ahead of us today. We actually got up to the top of Chaf Aleph Amud Aleph yesterday. Uh, we actually did something pretty amazing yesterday in the, in the annals of Dafyomi history. I did, got absolutely no recognition for it. But we went from, thank you, we went from, we went from Yotes Samad Beis to Chaf Aleph Amud Aleph over the course of one year, which Baruch Hashem, but we're actually going to go back and let's take a look. Let's, let's pick up from the Braisa on the bottom of Chaf Amud Beis. So starting three lines up from the bottom. So we already learned this yesterday a little bit. But let's, sorry, let me just, uh, but let's actually pick up from this Bryce. So Tanara Abanam, Shalosh Kolos, Shalosh Kolos, Hochem There are three sounds, three sounds, which could be heard from one end of the earth to the other. And what are they? The Eloheim, Kol Galgal Chama, the sun. Remember, we saw this in yesterday's Gemara. Kol Galgal Chama means the, sun, the, the sound of the movement of the sun. Remember again, the Gemara said that the movement of the sun sounds like the sawing, right? The sawing of a, of a carpenter through a piece, excuse me, through a piece of wood. So too, again, 
the sun cuts through the horizon as it moves forward. Oh, you know what? I forgot to... should remember to do these things, but, uh, okay. So the Gemara says, so shalosh kolos holchim yisofa olam ha'atzofo. Three kolos move from one end of the earth to the, could be heard. So, so, so kol galgal chama, the son of, the sound of the sun cutting through the sky. The kol hamona shalomi, the sounds of the throngs of Rome. The kol neshama shiyotzi min haguf, and the sound of an neshama when it leaves the body. Some say even the sound of birth, top of Chafalif, and some say even the sound of rain. Rashi says over here, Ridia is This is the Malach who's in charge of watering the earth. So you could hear the sound of rain could be heard from one sound where one, one end of the earth to the other. Both say this is incredible. The Rabbanon, the Chazal Davind, that ultimately, again, Interestingly enough, the Rabbis Davind, that the sound of the Neshama leaving the body should not be heard. Should not be heard. Now, say, if you think about these things, it's actually quite amazing. What, 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 what is, obviously, a, a Gemara like this is coming to advance some type of metaphorical message as well. So think about this for just a moment. What's the sound of the movement of the sun? That's the passage of time. Let's say one of the most profound things that occurs in this world is the passage of time, right? And the sound of the passage of time is so deafening. It's so deafening because every moment that goes by can never be retrieved. And every moment that goes by can never be reclaimed. That sound of passage of time ultimately, again, can be heard from one end of the earth to the other. Next, Kalamono Shorom. You both say Rome represents anti-Semitism. Rome represents, right, Klali Esav Sone Es Yaakov. The overwhelming nature of the hatred that exists towards Klali Israel in this world is deafening and overwhelming. Kol neshama b'shashiyotzi min aguf, death. Both say the knowledge that life comes to an end, right? And the knowledge that life, we see God this all the time, that life is not an infinite renewable resource, but instead that life is a finite, non-renewable resource. That knowledge, that reality is deafening. It's overwhelming. The Gemara says, Leda, right? The idea that we come into this world, the sound of birth. A person is only born if they have a mission. A person is only born if they have a destiny. A person only comes into this world if they have something to do and something to contribute. That knowledge that I am here for a reason is heard from one end of the earth to the other. Rain, we'll say, so rain, what's rain? Rain is parnasa. The knowledge that my parnasa ultimately comes from the Ribbon Shalom, that it's true. I have to put in my effort. I absolutely have to put in my effort. I have to put in my ishtadlus. But at the end of the day, my effort is only meaningful if it is blessed by the Ribbon Shalom. So we'll say, this is what it means when these sounds are heard from one end of the earth to the other. That these are the things of which we must be constantly aware. I must be aware of the passage of time because if I'm aware that every second that goes by I cannot reclaim, that'll get me to use my time better. I must be aware of Esav Sonas Yaakov, of anti-Semitism. I'll say, why? Why to walk around like everybody hates me? No, because especially as those of us who live in the Gullahs, we always have to be aware that we are foreigners in a foreign land. And at the end of the day, we Baruch Hashem, we are privileged to be here and we are privileged wherever we've lived throughout the centuries to be hosted by many nations but we should never delude ourselves into thinking that the nations of the world love us. The sound of death. They both say the knowledge that death 
comes for us all. Some of us will be zochet to live longer lives. Some of us only will give it, be given a short amount of years. But at the end of the day, death comes for all. And the notion that life ends has to energize us to live more purposefully. Leda, both said the idea, life, I, I have a mission. I have a mission. What's my mission? Figure out what my mission is. What am I supposed to accomplish? Rain, the parnasa comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So I'll say, what's the pshat that Chazal davened for the sound of the neshama leaving the body to be taken away? Because I'll say, can you imagine if that sound was actually heard? Chazal davened, if people live with a constant preoccupation of death, that could ultimately, again, lead to undermining productivity in life. So it's almost as if Chazal said, abuse to be that the knowledge of death like lived on the frontal lobe, right? The knowledge of death was constantly part of my consciousness. It was heard, it was heard, which could be very powerful, but apparently Chazal also felt that it could potentially be debilitating or they saw that it was debilitating. So they davened ultimately again for that sound to be no longer heard in this world. Incredible. Tanya Kavase de Reb Shila. Remember again, this whole discussion is such incredible Gemara. This whole discussion is rooted in a machlokas between Rav and Rabbi Shila about the definition of what? Remember? Kriyas HaGever. Right? When the Mishnah said that on a normal day they would do Trumas addition by Kriyas HaGever, what does that mean? So Rav said Kriyas HaGever is talking about a guy, a person. Right? The person, his name was Gavini, we saw in yesterday's daf. Right? So he was the individual, was the crier who woke everybody up. So Rav says it's a person. Rav Shila said, Rabbi Shila said, no, it refers to the rooster. So the Gemara says that there is a price that supports Rabbi Shila. If someone travels in the morning before Kriyas Hagever, which in this context means before the crow of the rooster, Damo Berosho. He is responsible ultimately again for his own death. I will say this is part of the motif that there are mazikin, there are dangerous forces. There are dangerous forces which exist in the world at night, and therefore a person should not go ahead and travel by night. So if you travel before the rooster crows, then at the end of the day, Damo Berosho. Rabbi Yosha Omer Ad Shiyishna. Rabbi Yosha says you really shouldn't leave until the rooster crows twice. Others say, Shreve the rooster, rooster to crow three times. Ubeezit Tarnagolam. We'll say, what kind of rooster are they talking about? Betarnagol Benoni. You know, say, you know, even in the rooster chevra, right? There is, there is reason roosters, right? They crow very early. Then there is the uh, lazy roosters, they crow late. When we speak about that you shouldn't leave, it's talking about a rooster Benoni. Right? We'll say in life in general, it's always good to be a middle of the road kind of person, middle of the road kind of rooster. So when the rooster, bait rooster Benoni, Benoni rooster crows, that's then you should go. So we'll say, so again, leaving aside the, the halachas and traveling, this price clearly supports Rabbi Shila's interpretation that gever, right, that kriyasa gever, ultimately again refers to the crowing of the rooster. Amr Rabbi Yudam Rav, listen to this. So now, now, that's the machlokas, that's the machlokas. Now, obviously, the, we know that historically, historically, in the Beis Hamikdash, there was a crier. I don't know if I'm using the right word, crier, but you understand there was a, an announcer, right? I mentioned yesterday, the vecker, right? Like every yeshiva has the vecker, the guy who goes around and wakes up everyone. So the Beis HaMikdash had someone who was responsible for this as well. So it could very well be that Kriyas HaGever means different things in different places, but at least in our Mishnah, Kriyas HaGever absolutely means the individual who was called Gavini, or Gavini, I keep saying Gavini, was it Gavini or Ganivi? Gavini, right? So Gavini, ultimately, again, 
that he was that was the original guy's name, and then the office became known by that name as well. So the Gemara goes right there. We'll say this is so beautiful. The Gemara says, "Am Rav Yehuda Marav b'Shal Sheisra Olin Leregel Omdin Sefufim Mishtachalim Ravachin." We'll say this is truly beautiful. So the Rav Yehuda says the name of Rav when Klaliso would come up for Aliyah Leregel. We'll say you have to imagine this scene. Imagine this scene. They were coming up for Aliyah Leregel Pesach Shavuos Sukkis Omdin Sefufim. They would stand packed in together. But when they would bow down, when they would bow down, there was space for everyone. Now, both say, if I'll tell you something very interesting, he said, the Gemara says, So, if, actually, if you look at Rashi for just a moment, it's right across in Rashi. When they would prostrate themselves and bow down. A miracle would happen. So we'll say, when they were standing up in the Mikdash, they were packed in like sardines. But then when they would go ahead and bow down, there was enough space for every single person. Why? Now look at what Rashi says. Now according to Rashi, the reason for this miracle was that when they, remember, you would recite vidui when you were prostrating yourselves. And what's going to happen? Vidui, I will say, is a very, we think about vidui as Hashem Nubaganu. That, that's true. But real vidui is confession of what? Of what? Of your own Averus. Right? Not just Hashem Nubaganu. I spoke Lashonara. I ate non-kosher. I Whatever your Averus are. So we'll say, what's the problem? The problem is, if we're all standing next to each other, then what? I'm going to be inhibited. I, I, don't, I don't want to confess my Averis in earshot of you. By the way, I'm actually not allowed to confess my Averis, right? The, the idea of the Ramam Rizal when you confess your Averis, that is a private experience between you and the Ribbon Sholem. So Rashi says the point of the miracle was allow for personal vidwell, a personal confession. Now, what's unique about this Rashi? We'll say, when are you confessing your Averis? And no one wants to answer this question. Right, right, right. So, we'll say, well, with Pashas, I'm confessing, hopefully I'm confessing my Averis every day. I mean, if I did them. But really, that's the Avod of Yom Kippur. Yet, the Gemara says, when did this miracle occur? Regalim, where there's no Din of Vidu, which is really quite interesting. There's a whole Machlokis over here, exactly, or different yourselves of the Gemara as well. Exactly when this, when this miracle occurred. Because remember, again, even, even on the Yom Tovim, even on Yom Tovim, was there a dinner of prostration? Not a dinner of prostration. Yom Kippur, there was for sure a dinner of prostration. I will say, remember again, even aside for Vidui, when are we prostrating ourselves on Yom Kippur? We do this to this very day. We'll say, remember again, to this very day we reenact this in our shuls. So it's interesting, prostration played a major role in the Beis HaMikdash, Dafka on Yom Kippur. But it's interesting that the Gemara understands the miracle to be occurring during the Regal. Okay, just something to think about. But I just want to point out that according to Rashi, the real miracle took place on Yom Kippur so that everybody should be able to prostrate and recite their vidui in private. The Gemara says, listen to this. And I will say, this is actually incredible. There was such an incredible number of people who came to the Beis HaMikdash that literally the Jews encircled the entire Beis HaMikdash. So we'll say, actually, they were inside of the walls of the Beis HaMikdash, and what they did is, they kind of extended out of, Eretz, of, of Ezra Sisrael. 
they extend it out of Ezra Yisrael. Because we also remember again, we saw in our diagram, we're not, we're not going to go into the diagram today, but we saw that the way you would remember, if you would come, if you're coming in from, if you're coming in the east entrance of the base Hamikdash, you keep going through what we call the Ezra Nashim, you hit a gate. The one gate on the eastern side, which was called a little bit of Chazar, the one gate on the eastern side, Sharnikanar, excellent, excellent, excellent. You'd walk into Sharnikanar, the 11 Amas after Sharnikanar were called Ezra Sisral. During the Amin Tovim, there were so many Jews there. I will say, it's actually, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's very haunting to learn this Gemara in light of the events, right? The mass gatherings, a lot, Bomer and Meron, but it's incredible. You see that the Jews came into the Beis HaMikdash, and what was, there were so many people there that they actually crowded around the Beis HaMikdash. So obviously, that was very soothing. Thank you, guys. Right? So, so, so ultimately, again, they would go ahead and crowd around the base Hamikdash to the point that they would even be behind the Kodesh. So if you can imagine, they filled the entire perimeter of the base Hamikdash, not going where the Mizbeach was, not going where the Tabbos was. So if you can, in your mind, remember the image of the base Hamikdash. Well, I'll just show it to you very quickly. So what's this? If you can imagine, just just to look if you were talking about over here. Remember again, they're coming in. This is the Eastern Gate, Sharni Kanar. Cloudy so regular Yisrema are able to go in this narrow rectangle. During the times of the Regalim, they actually would fill out this entire space. Again, along the perimeter of the wall. And then the 11 Amas behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim is what they're referring to right over here. These 11 Amas, in mind that they would come along this entire perimeter. Not coming again in this area, because this is where the Kohanim were doing the Avodah, but along the entire perimeter. And the Gemara say, even behind, even behind the 11 Amas, ultimately again behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, Good. My Kamar, Hachi Kamar, so we'll say the miracle was that even though they were panned out, right? There was so much extra room. They panned out past the Ezra's Nashim into the Ezra's Yisrael and even surrounding the perimeter of the Beis HaMikdash. When they stood, they were packed in, but when they bowed down, there was room for everyone. This is one of the ten miracles that was done in the Beis HaMikdash. So we're going to see now, we're going to go through the ten miracles that was, I promised you, an incredible daf. I promised you an incredible daf. And Amir Hashem, now we're going to go through the ten miracles of the Beis HaMikdash. But I'm going to come back, because I just want to get through a little bit more Gemara. There is a beautiful, beautiful idea about this particular miracle of Omdim Tzifuv Mishtach Avim Revach. And we'll get to it in just a moment. This nan, Asara Nisim Nasu Beis HaMikdash. There are ten miracles which were performed in the Beis HaMikdash. Number one, Lo Apila Isha Mereach Basar Hekdish. A woman never miscarried from smelling the sacrificial meat. Now, Bosa Rashi points out, what does this mean? When a woman is pregnant, so she develops cravings. So again, let's say a woman is coming to Yushalayim, she's coming to the base Hamikdash, and what happens? You smell the burning meat to the corner. We'll say, you have to imagine the aroma coming to the base Hamikdash must have been incredible, right? What does it smell like? It smells like a barbecue, right? It's mamish, like a national barbecue. It's incredible. So what could happen? A woman could develop, a pregnant woman could develop cravings, and again, if a woman develops cravings and those cravings are not fulfilled, could be dangerous to her. So again, it never happened that a woman developed, a pregnant woman developed a dangerous craving from 
the meat of Kadshim. Sacrificial meat never went putrid. Right? It never went putrid. A fly was never found in the butcher chamber, which Abbas says is an incredible miracle. There was never a situation where the coin Gadol became a Balkari, had a seminal emission on the night of Yom Kippur. It never happened that there was something, some kind of disqualification in the barley which was harvested for the Omer. Abbas, remember again, we harvest barley. We remember again, the carbon Omer is offered up on the second day of Pesach. We go out the night of the second day of Pesach to harvest that barley. The Rebbe said, I remember, they don't harvest a lot of barley. They only harvest what they need. Which means that if you were to bring that barley to the Beis HaMikdash, and then something were to happen to the barley, you would be out of luck for the carbon Omer, at least temporarily. So a miracle happened. There was never a psul. There was never ultimately... I remember, I remember barley is also first starting to, to, to ripen that time. So it's not an abundance of barley. So they would go, harvest what they needed, come back to the Beis HaMikdash. If there was some type of psul that ultimately, again, could significantly, significantly delay the offering of the carbon omer. The Gemara says, never happened. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, because if some, some disqualification would happen to the barley, there is no other barley to offer. We'll say again, they didn't harvest a lot of barley. They only harvested what they needed. So if there was a so if there was some type of disqualification, you would mamish be out of luck with the carbon. Next, the Gemara goes on. Similarly, again, there was never a psul That's the loaf offering of Shavuos. Nor was there ever, nor was there ever a psul they would stand when they were packed in by the regalim. They would stand shoulder to shoulder, but they would bow down and there was room for everyone. And no one was ever harmed by a snake or a scorpion in Yerushalayim. So isn't that incredible? And I will say, because on the regalim, you had such a convergence of people in Yerushalayim, no one ever said, right? no, no one ever said, there's not enough space for me to go ahead and find a place to stay or find a place to eat. Rashi points out, no one ever said, I can't get a reservation in a restaurant in Yerushalayim, right? And no one ever said, I can't find a place to stay. I want to tell you something amazing. The Hassam Sofer comments on this Gemara. And he says, how could that be? I think about this in just a moment. Just, just logistically, how can that be? How could Yerushalayim go ahead and accommodate everyone? I'm saying, so you could say, what's the answer? What's the answer? It's a miracle. Okay. Remember again, this is the list. The Asara Nisim. The will say the Hassam Sofer says something so beautiful. The Hassam Sofer says, sometimes, sometimes there wasn't a place to stay for everyone. And sometimes there wasn't enough food. What was the miracle? The lo amar adam tsarli hamakam. The miracle was no one complained. That was the miracle. No one complained. Now, both say, so first of all, it's a miracle for Jews not to complain. That, that's Aleph, right? I was thinking about this just now. What's, what's the beauty of it? What's the miracle? The miracle, I will say, you know, you ever, you ever sometimes with, maybe you have a family gathering, you know, or maybe it's where, where you know, it, it's uncomfortable, it's squishy, but when you're with people who you love, you really don't care. 
When you're with people who you love, the experience itself is so beautiful and so meaningful that the physical discomfort really does not erode the experience. The Hassam Sofer says, the Regalim, we're going to have this in Hashem very soon again. And can you imagine that scene of all of us coming together to Yushalayim? The traffic is going to be horrendous, right? And the congestion, it is going to be overwhelming. And if you don't have a place to stay, I see, I think I saw Jerry on here. I'm staying by Jerry. Right? But, 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 you know, if you, if you, if you don't have a place to stay or you don't have somewhere to go, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a to-do. I will say, but who doesn't want to get stuck in that traffic? Can, can, can you imagine what that is? Yeah, okay, you've got to pack up the car early, early, Erev Yamtiv, right? It's, I, it's a half hour trip, but we're leaving ourselves six hours to get there. Why? Because the streets are going to be... I will say, is anyone going to complain about that traffic? Is anyone going to complain? Or when, again, you can't get a reservation in a restaurant in Yerushalayim, right? Is, is, any, is anyone going to complain the Hassam Sofer says, that's the miracle, because it was so great to be with your people. It was so great to be with Am Yisrael. It was so great, ultimately, to be part of this incredible, magnificent national endeavor that no one complained. That was the miracle. That's Hassam Sofer. Others say, no, the miracle was somehow there was enough space for everyone. Okay, good. So the Gemara says, interesting enough, remember again, the Gemara just gave a list of 10 miracles which occurred. Now the Gemara said, these are 10 miracles which occurred in Yerushalayim. But in reality, the first, I'm sorry, 10 miracles that occurred in the Mikdash, the first eight were in the Mikdash. The last two we're in Yerushalayim, right? Remember again, miracles 9 and 10 is there was never a snake or a scorpion in Yerushalayim. And number 10 was, V'lo amar adam sali amakam. person never said, there is not enough space for me. So you told me 10 miracles in the Mikdash, but in reality, you, you only listed 8 in the Mikdash and 2 in Yerushalayim. To which the Gemara says, Ita tarki, Ita, Ika tarti achrenaisa Mikdash. There are actually two other miracles in the base of Mikdash. What are they? Disanyo, Me'olam lo kibu gishamim eisha atzei me'aracha. So we'll say, so first of all, miracle, right? another miracle was, the rain never extinguished the fire of the Mizbeach. The right rain never extinguished the fire of the Mizbeach. Furthermore, again, the smoke which came up from the Ma'aracha, right? The smoke that came up from the Mizbeach rose in a straight pillar. And no matter how strong the wind was, at the end of the day, nothing dissipated the column of smoke. So the Gemara says, V'suleka, are there no other miracles? V'ha'avatanya, Reb Shmaya, Reb Shmaya, he's Reb Shmaya from Kolnavo, that's the name of his place. Shivrei klecheres nivlaen bimkoman. We'll say, this is incredible, another miracle. So we'll say, so what the Gemara just did was took out the two last miracles of snakes and scorpions in Yerushalayim and lo amar adam tzadiyamakom and replaced them with another two. The other two were again that there was the, the rain never extinguished the fire in the Mizbeach and the pillar of smoke which rose from the Mizbeach went up in a straight pillar. Well, so I just want to point out all of these miracles have incredible metaphorical significance because remember again the Ribbon Olam never does non purposeful miracles. There are either utilitarian miracles, miracles necessary to remedy some type of immediate need like Kriyas Yamsuf, or there are message miracles, which are miracles done for the purpose of conveying to us some type of dramatic message. So again, it's beyond the scope of our share today, but we'll find the opportunity, maybe each of these miracles, after Shira Bisrael may allow 
Shlita in his Perush and Pirkei Avos. This is a Mishnah Pirkei Avos as well. Asar Nisim Nasul Avosim Beis Hamikdash has actually a beautiful metaphorical significance. He gives a beautiful explanations. They will find the time to merit Hashem do it. So the Gemara goes weiter. Are these the only miracles? There are other miracles. So the Gemara says. Shmaya says, Shivrei Klecheres Nivlan Bim Koman. I will say, remember again, when the Kohanim would eat of the Karbanos, they would eat of the Karbanos in earthenware utensils. Now, what would you do with the earthenware utensils when you finish eating the Karban? You had to smash them because there was nothing you could do with them. Because remember, earthenware absorbs, but the absorptions cannot be extracted. So when the Kohanim would finish eating their Karbanos, they would literally smash the earthenware utensils. So we'll say, Kohanim eat a lot of Karbanos. So what happens to all of the shards? What happens to all of the shards? Miraculously, they were absorbed in place. They were absorbed in place. Avon Rabbaye, in the beginning of in the Beisamik Toshis, Avon Rabbaye, Abaye said, Mora Avinosa Vedishim Zech HaPanimi, Vedishim HaMenora, Nevlaan Bim Koman. Abaye says another miracle, that literally the crop and the feathers of the Ola Sa'of, the bird Ola, were absorbed in place. The dishon, right, the ashes of the mizbeach and of the menorah, when they were placed on the ground, were absorbed in place. To which the Gemara says, there's a lot of other miracles, to which the Gemara says, psule tlasahavu chashvinu becha. So now what the Gemara is going to do is try to collapse the original list a little bit. Because remember, again, the way the Mishnah started was, there are 10 miracles which happened in the Beis HaMikdash. So we're, we're kind of locked in to that number 10. What the Gemara now is going to do is as follows. The Gemara is going to go ahead and say, there, the three miracles with, which dealt ultimately again with Psulim. Or as the Gemara said, there was never a Psul in the Omer. There was never a Psul in the Shtei Lechem, And there was never a Psul in the Lechem upon him. Let's make those three into, into one. Right? We'll call those... There was never a psul in the Beis Hamikdash miracles. All right, we could collapse it into one. Chashvinu bechad, apik tray, va'ili tray. Then you could include these other two miracles as well. Ihach, if that's the case, beluin nami tray chashvinu bechad. If that's the case, then I will say again, all of these miracles about absorption, right? The absorption of the klicharas, the absorption of by the by the bird offering, the absorption of the ash. You could also go ahead and collapse that into one. So if that's the case, then you're missing one miracle. You see, there is another miracle. So what's the other miracle? There was an incredible miracle with Lechem What was the miracle? Siluko Kisiduro. The miracle of the Lechem was that just like it was put on fresh, it was removed fresh as well. When it was put on, it was hot. And when it was removed, it was hot. Perhaps that's miracle number 10. It was put on hot, it was removed hot. Are there no other miracles? There is a Mesorah that we have. This is incredible. If you look at the dimensions of the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the dimensions of the Ark of the Aron, it doesn't work. The Ark does not fit inside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. To which the Gemara explains, it's very simple, Aron Eina Minamida. The Aron somehow miraculously did not take up space. Didn't take up space. So that's another miracle. Furthermore, again, the Gemara says, The Kruvim themselves, which were the angelic-like figures, 
perched on top of the Aron also were suspended miraculously, right? They also didn't take up space. So the Gemara says, so this is two more miracles. Why aren't they reckoned as part of this list? To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Nisi de Braika Chashiv, Nisi de Gavai Loka Chashiv. Both say, this is actually very interesting. The list only included miracles that were on the outside of the Mikdash, not miracles that occurred in the interior of the Mikdash. So we'll see an interesting distinction here. So we'll say, therefore, again, the Aron and the Kruvim, these were Nisim on the inside. They're not included in this. We'll say, so it turns out, when the Mishnah says, Asara Nisim, these are 10 miracles which occurred on the outside of the Mikdash, which were visible. But the Nisim, but there are many more miracles which occurred on the interior of the Mikdash, which were not visible, therefore were not included. Ihachi lecha nami, Nisi de second. We'll say, the lechem upon him was kept on what? On the shulchan. On the shulchan. And where was the shulchan kept? In the inside of the mikdash, right? In the kodesh. So if that's the case, that's also called an interior miracle. If that's the case, why is it included in the list? To which the gemar says, Yihachi, lechem upon him nami nisi de gavaihu. Lechem upon him nisi de braihu. No, in reality, we'll say, this isn't so beautiful. The, the miracle of the Lechem upon him was actually an exterior miracle. Why? Bosei, this is beautiful. Bosei, why does the Pasik say that you shall place the, you shall place the Lechem on the Shulchan HaTahar? Right? You should place the Lechem upon him on the Shulchan that is Tahar. Tahar. Mechlashu Tameh. Bosei, what does that mean? Now, interesting enough, that what we can infer from that is, that perhaps the Shulchan, Rashi says, is Mechabal Are you trying to tell me that the Shulchan is Mechabal Well, that's not true. The Shulchan is not Mechabal Why not? I will say, Amid Beis, Kli The Shulchan, I will say, is a wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary. The Chol Kli is in the Mechabal And any wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary. He's not Mechabal I want to point out something very interesting of you. So Rashi gives the holy mood. How we know that a stationary wood utensil is not Mechabal And I both say what's very unique over here is that the Shulchan is called a wooden utensil. Even though what? Even though what? It's coated with gold. So we'll say, we learn, remember again, when it comes to, let's say, well, we, we learned, utensils that are coated with some type of exterior coating, generally the utensil takes on the identity of the exterior coating, but the shulchan is different because the Torah itself calls the shulchan eights. So therefore, even though the shulchan is coated in gold, it's covered in gold, lemaiseid is considered to be a kliates. So a wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary is not mekabel tumah. Well, if that's the case, then why does the Torah have to refer to the shulchan as, as, what was Lashon? Ala shulchan Hatar, what's going on over here? To which the Gemara says, this is incredible. The Gemara says, Any wooden utensil that is meant to remain stationary, it's not Mechabal Tumah. Furthermore, it could serve as a barrier to the Tumah. So we'll say, so therefore, why does the Torah have to refer to the Shulchan Atar? This is incredible. Because we'll see, see from here that the Shulchan wasn't stationary. Rather, again, I'll say, when was the Shulchan moved? This is so incredibly beautiful. When was the Shulchan moved? The Shulchan was moved for the Ole Regalim. For those who came up on the Amim Tovim. The Omen, the Kohanim, will say, listen, imagine this image. The Kohanim would bring out the Shulchan to the Ole Regalim. Now, we'll say, now, what I told you before makes a lot of sense. Where were the Ole Regalim? Right? Where were the pilgrims during the times of the Regalim? 
Remember, again, I will say they kind of, they, they went past Ezra Yisrael. They entered in through Sharni Kanor. They occupied the area, ultimately, again, of the 11 Amos. And then they also circled the entire interior of the Azara. So I will say, which tells you what the Kohanim would, it's incredible, imagine the scene. The Kohanim would bring the Shulchan out of the Mikdash. And they would say to Kalal Yisrael, they would say, See how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. Shesiluko kisiduro. That ultimately, again, the loaves remained fresh. They were put on hot and they were removed. To go ahead and place, right? That the bread is warm on the day it was removed, just like the day it was placed. That's why it calls the Shulchan Shulchan Atar. Why? Because technically speaking, the Shulchan was Mechabal Tumah. In fact, Rabbi said, we know that after the Regalim, what would they do with the Shulchan? We know this. What would they do with the Shulchan? They would immerse it in the Mikvah. Because what were they concerned about? They were concerned that people who were Tame inadvertently touched it. So they would actually immerse. So we'll say this is another. So again, the point over here is this is another miracle that the Lechem HaPonim remained fresh. So I'll just point out to you, why, why, was, why was this the thing that they showed Cloud Yisrael? Right at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they said, See how much Kaddish Baruch Hu loves you, the Lechem HaPonim remains fresh. We'll say, why is the freshness of the Lechem HaPonim demonstrative of the unending love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for Kalal Yisrael? Because we'll remember again, what does Lechem represent? What does Lechem represent? The Lechem represents Parnasa. I will say, what are all of us preoccupied with? Or like, unless, you're, unless you're independently wealthy, what are all of us preoccupied with? We're all preoccupied with Parnasa. I will say the freshness of the Lechem HaPonim was a reminder that the Ribbono Shal Olam is an ever-present force in our Parnasa. That although we have to go ahead and put in Ishtadlos, we have to put in a lot of Ishtadlos, we have to work very hard to earn our daily bread, the freshness of that bread, the Ribbono Shalom is constantly present in my bread. I don't have to earn my Parnasa by myself. The Ribbono Shal Olam is there with me every step of the way. Yes, it's Baruch says, You're only going to eat bread, you're only going to earn a parnasa through the sweat of your brow. But lest you think you have to go at it alone. Baruch keeps the bread fresh. He is there with you every step of the way. Beautiful. Are there no other miracles? There are plenty of miracles. There are plenty of miracles. This is incredible. When Shlomach built the Beis HaMikdash, he planted, he planted golden trees. Golden trees and golden vines. And what did they do? This is incredible. And the golden trees and the golden vines would yield golden fruit. <laughs> golden fruit. And then when the wind would blow, no shrin, the fruit would fall off the tree, the grapes would fall off the vine, shinei amar, yirash kalavanon pirio. Literally again, the rustle, right? The rustle will go and cause the fruit to come off. And when our enemies came into the base Hamikdash, yavash, these golden trees and these golden vines dried up. Shinei amar, uparach levanon umlal. And also when Mashiach comes, 
the golden trees of Shlomo and the golden vines of Shlomo are going to come back into blossom. Shneimar Parach Tifrach Vesagel Avgilas Ranan Kavod Halavano Nason La. Both say incredible. So why aren't these included as well? Both I just point out, by the way, not for now. You know, there's a whole discussion. A whole discussion. You're not allowed to plant trees on the Harabais. So Both say, by the way, if you ever go, if you ever have the schos to go ahead and go on the Harabais, right, with the proper preparations and with the proper tour. You'll notice something amazing. There's a ridiculous number of trees planted on Harabais. <laughs> Doesn't let's say so. Understand that that is a shtach by the wakf. Right? We'll say in other words that that unfortunately sometimes our antagonists understand our halachas as well. There is a premeditated effort to plant trees on the Harabais because we don't plant trees in the Harabais. We'll say it's incredible. It looks beautiful. You look at it, there's so much green, right? <laughs> there are no trees in the rest of Yerushalayim, right? But amazing enough, on the Harabais, there's such a concentration of trees that, 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 that is done to spiritually repudiate our claim. We do not plant trees in the Harabais for one simple reason, out of a concern for Asherah. Remember again, the Asherah tree was in prominence from Avodah Zara. So there's a whole discussion in the Rishonim Ultimately, about how Shlomo was able to plant things on the Harabais. Okay, not for now. Just pointing out. So the Gemara says, "So you see these miracles? Why don't you include the golden trees, the golden vines?" To which the Gemara says, "We'll say first wide line nisi dikavi lokachashiv." So we'll say. Interesting enough, the Gemara says, "Miracles that were established, that were fixed in place, we don't count. We don't count." But we'll say Rashi says, "Dikavi kavuim va'omdin tamid bimkoman." Miracles which were kind of embedded in place and happened every day, we don't count those as the list. Which, by the way, is such an incredible Musar. In general, miracles which occur every single day, we generally don't count as miracles, even though they are no less miraculous than the episodic miracles. Human nature is such that those things that you see every single day become part of nature and lose their miraculous identity, even though they are no less miraculous, again, as I mentioned, than the episodic miracles of life. So, you know, so isn't this incredible? So, isn't this amazing? No, no, no. We don't count the golden trees and the golden vines of Shlomo. Because at the end of the day, Nisi Dikavi, they're always there. They're always there. And therefore, we're only counting the episodic miracles. To which the Gemara says, well, Now that you said that, Ultimately, again, the Arun and the Kruvim also aren't counted in the list because they are Nisi Dikvi. I will say, such a muster. We have to be so careful in life to not discount the Nisi Dikvi. Life is filled with constant, embedded, consistent, ongoing miracles. And because we see them day in and day out, we forget that they're miracles. Because we see them day in and day out, because they're kivii, we forget about how great they are. We need to make sure, I both say, that we never lose sight of our miracles, not just the episodic ones, but the constant, consistent ones as well. So now remember again, one of the miracles that was quoted was that the smoke of the ma'arach, I both say the ma'arach is the pyre. Remember again, there was a wood pyre in the Mizbeach. The smoke, the smoke ascended in a straight column. So the Gemara says, was there smoke from the Ma'aracha? Was there smoke from the fire in the Mizbeach? Vatanya, we learn, There were five things which were said about the, the fire of the Ma'aracha. Revutza Ka'ari. We'll say number one, this is incredible. The, the fire itself took on the appearance of a crouching lion. The fire itself was as clear or as luminescent as the sun. The fire itself had had mamashas, or was it right? Had a had a what's the word? Um, was it a, a consistency? 
a substance, substance, all right? I was going to say like a, like a, yeah, a substance to it. And the fire was so powerful that it could consume liquids the same way it consumed solids. And it did not give off smoke. <laughs> so you just told me one of the miracles was that what? Was that ultimately, again, the smoke went up. Now we're saying that one of the miracles of the Ma'aracha, fire of the Ma'aracha, is that it didn't give off smoke. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Ki ka'aminon bidehedyot. Both say, remember again, this is incredible. There were two, there were two, Fires on the there were two fires on the mizbeach. There was the ishtamid the fire that came down from the heavens, and then there was the fire that the kohanim were obligated to burn. So the, the fire that came down from Shemayim, that fire did not generate any smoke, but the fire that the kohanim had to make that and there, that was an obligation day in and day out. That fire produced smoke, and it's about that smoke that the Mishnah said one of the miracles was the smoke went up in a straight pillar and did not dissipate. So the Gemara says, Even though it was a fire that came down from the heavens, mitzvah lahavi minahedjot. There was a mitzvah for the Kohanim to kindle their own fire each and every day. Revutzekari. So also the Gemara says the fire. Right, the fire of, of Akadosh Baruch Hu was crouching like a, was crouching like a lion. Vatanya, I'm Rabbi Chanina. Scan a konim. Aniri Yisir. Rabbi Chanina scan a konim. Said, I saw that fire. Uravutzik Kelev, and the fire was crouching like a dog. So which one is it? Is like a is like a lion, like a dog. Lokasha, kama mikdashishon, kama mikdasheni. I will say in the first place, Hamikdash, the fire that came down from Shamayim ultimately was crouching like a lion, representing the prowess of the Bais Rishon. The fire that came down in Bayashini was like a dog, still powerful, but not like a lion. One second more, Mikdash Mihabi. Was there a fire that came down from the heavens in the second base of Mikdash? Vamra Shul Barine, Barine, Maidir Siv, the Erzabo, the Echabdo, the Ikabed, the Karina, the Echabdo, Maishal the Bechusai. So we'll say the word Ikabed is missing a hey, but we read Ichabda to teach us that there are five things, the Mechusar hey, there are five things that were different, five things missing from Bayes Rishon to Bayes Sheni. And what were those five things? Elu Chameshes, Dvarm Shaiba Mikdash Rishon, Mikdash Sheni. Ve'elohein, here are the five things. Arn Vekapores, or Arn Vekapores Akrub, that's all one. Right, there was no Aron, there was no Ark, which meant there was no lid, there were no Kruvin, that was missing, that's all one though. Eish, no fire came down from the heavens. Ushchina, the divine presence did not rest in the Bayesheni, as it did in Bayes Rishon. Ruach HaKodesh, no spirit of prophecy. Urim Vitumim. And there was no Urim Vitumim, I will say. Remember again, the Urim Vitumim is the piece of parchment with the 72 ineffable letter, uh, 72 letter, or 72, 72 letter ineffable name of Hashem that was put, was slid into a fold into the Choshen and kind of acted as the battery, the spiritual battery for the Choshen. That you were able to ask the Choshen questions and the Rebbe would respond through the Choshen. That was not present in the Bayesheni. So the Gemara says, Amri in, Miyahava, Siyui Lohava Messiah. So we'll say this is very interesting. So the fire was there, even in the second base Hamikdash. There was fire, but amazingly enough, the fire that came down from the heavens did not assist in consuming the carbono. So I'll say, isn't this incredible? So the fire was there. This is incredible. The fire did come down even in Bayesheni, but unlike in Bayes Rishon, where the fire would come down and consume the carbonos, the fire came down in Bayesheni, but did not consume the carbonos. This is incredible. I just want to point out. 
Tosus brings down over here, how can you say that there are no Urlin Atum in the Bayashain? Look at Tosus just a moment. Urlin Atumim, Urlin Atum Havu. So again, Tosus says, Shimlo came, Hadakoin Godim, Mechosir Begadim. How can you say there were no Urlin Atumim in the second base Samikdash? Because we'll say, if there's no Urlin Atumim, that means we'll say that the Koin Gadol was missing some of his Begadim. Well, the Koin Gadol's Mechusha Begadim can't do the Avoda. Therefore, Tosis says, Tosis says they were there. Ella lo hayu mashivin the Nishabai. So we'll say, Tosis says they know the Urvatum were present. They just what? Didn't work. It wasn't working. Let's say it was there. So what's his machlokis Rashi Tosis? Rashi understands there were no Urimatumim in the second base Mingdash, which I will say, which means refer that piece of parchment, which is the Pasha Pshat in the Gemara. Tosis says impossible, because then the Kaigad will be Mechosra Begadim, it must be, it was there. Cheshbrach, which is Denanser. Tara Banan. Sheish Eshosin. I will say there are six, Gemara says now, there are six fires. So I will say there's a fire that eats but doesn't drink, which means it consumes solids but not liquids. A fire that drinks but doesn't eat. A fire that eats and drinks. A fire that consumes liquids like it does solids. There's one fire that repels another fire. There's a fire that consumes other fires. Let's go through the list. There's a fire that eats but doesn't drink. Hadidon. I will say that's our fire, right? Our, our fire could consume, could consume things, but yet can't consume liquids, right? It could be put out by liquids. What's a fire that drinks but doesn't eat? Decholin. This is the fire of fever, right? So when a person is feverish, what happens? They want to drink, but often they have no appetite. So the fire, so the fire drinks but doesn't eat. Ocheles v'shosa, a fire that eats and drinks. The Elio, the Chsiv, the Esamayim, the Shabbatal, Lachka. So we'll say this refers to the episode of Elio Hanavi and his theological showdown with the Nevi Habal and Hara Carmel. Remember again, there was Elio Hanavi challenged Nevi Habal to whoever could go ahead and bring down a fire from the heavens first will assert theological supremacy. What does Ilyanavi do? He right, he puts his shaks, Karbanas puts them on a pyre and soaks the whole thing with water. So the fire came down and not only consumed the Karbanas, but consumed the water as well. A fire that consumes wet things like dry things, that refers ultimately again to the fire that came down on the Mizbech and the Besamikdosh. There's a fire that repels fire. De Gavriel. This refers to the fire of Gavriel. So remember, we saw this actually referenced in Psachim. Remember yeah, what happened in Psachim? So that's when Gavriel, the Malach Gavriel, came down to save Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah from the fiery furnace. He came down and he repelled the fire from the inside, and the fire consumed everyone outside of the furnace. There's a fire that consumes fire. This refers to the fire of the Rebbeinu Shalom. Damar Mar Hoshit Etzbo Beneim V'Safar. Nabo says. So Rashi points out this is a reference. Cheshbon was ready to create man. There were a group of Malachim who argued against the creation of man. What did Hakadosh Baruch Hu do? He put his finger right in the midst of them and he consumed them. Malachim are fire. Yet the fire of the Rebbeinu Shalom consumed the fire of the Malachim. Incredible. And I will say, when it came to the fire of the, the excuse me, the smoke of the Ma'aracha, all of the winds in the world could not move it. So that was the miracle. That the smoke would ascend in a straight pillar, and no matter how windy it was, no matter how windy it was, 
It wouldn't move. Listen to this. Is that true? That the pillar never moved? But listen to this. This is incredible. So Rabbi Yitzhak said, Right? After remember, remember again, is the beginning of the rainy season. Right? That's the rainy season after Sukkis. After Sukkis. Everybody would look to see what would happen with the ushan of the Ma'aracha. So let's say, essentially what the Gemara is going to say is they were looking to see which way the wind would blow. Listen to this. No teklapet safon. So if the, if the, if the pile, if the, not pile, if the pillar of smoke would blow towards the north, so the paupers were happy, and the balabatim, the merchants, were very sad. Why? Because we'll say, what would that represent? That meant there was going to be a lot of rain that year. So what does that mean? When there's a lot of rain, there's an overabundance of produce. When there's an overabundance of produce, produce rots. Therefore, what do you have to do? You have to sell cheap in order to get rid of your inventory. So who's happy about selling cheap? The paupers are happy. The merchants were not happy. Not a clappy darum. If the wind, if right, if the pillar of smoke shifted towards the south, and you're not some balibatim smechem, that meant there would be less rain. So the paupers were sad because that means there'd be less produce, higher prices. The paupers were sad. The merchants were happy. Not a clappy mizrach. If the pillar of smoke shifted or slanted towards the east, hakol smechem, everybody was happy because it was say the east meant. There would be just enough rain, so there'd be enough produce, enough produce, but so that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have to sell it at a premium, but also wouldn't also have to sell it cheap. So the merchants would make their money, and the anim would have ample supply. The Gemara says, "Klape maruf." But if the if the pillar of smoke slanted west, hakolat sovin, everybody would be sad because both say that would mean there would be an un- insufficient rainfall. And therefore, there weren't happy enough produce. <clears throat> now, say now again, what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That the pillar of smoke did shift directionally. So why do you tell me that it didn't shift directionally? Tushimur says, no, no, no. say what it means was, the pillar itself would shift, but would not dissipate. So the Gemara makes says like, like, a, like a palm tree. I say, what does a palm tree do when it's windy? It shifts back and forth, but the palm itself is intact. So, so too, again, the pillar itself would never dissipate. The pillar remained intact. Just when the wind blew, the wind would shift the pillar, but it was an intact pillar. It was incredible. So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, So the Gemara just said before that when the wind blew towards the east, everyone was happy. Towards the west, everyone was sad. Or Minu, the Gemara says, one second, Mizrach is the Olam Yafa, Ma'arav is the Olam Kosha. Here I said, we learned that ultimately, again, eastern wind is always good. Western wind is always difficult. Ruach tzifon is yafa lechitin. A northern wind is good for wheat. So the Gemara says, As long as the wheat is one-third grown, the kashal is asim, and it's difficult for olives. Bizman shein chotin, at the time when they're beginning to blossom. Ruach duromis, a western wind, kashal lechitin, which is difficult for the wheat. When it is matured to one third of its growth, but it's good for olives. When they're blossoming, how do you remember all of this? This is incredible. How do you remember it? The shulchan was in the north, and the menorah was in the south. So, what does that mean? 
A northern wind is good for the wheat. Wheat makes bread which goes on the shulchan. And the western wind is good for, the, for olives, which ultimately, again, are used for, used for the menorah. So the Gemara says... So again, the winds of the north, the winds of the south, each go ahead and perpetuate that which works for that which goes on it. So I will say, so again, it's, it's interesting to remember it. So the east, right, the menorah, which is in the north, ultimately, again, northern winds take care of the wheat. The shulchan, which was in the, I'm sorry, that was, yeah, that, that, good. That's the shulchan, I'm sorry, in the north. The menorah, which is in the south, the southern winds take care of the olives. So we'll say, so you see a contradiction to which the Amaris said, Lokasha, Halon, Vahalahu. We'll say it's not a contradiction. There's a difference between which winds were good for Eretz Yisrael and which winds were good for Babel. Take a look at the last Rashi. Halon, Vahalahu, truly beautiful. Rashi says, Mizrachis, Yafal Eretz Yisrael. I'm sorry, the Eretz Babel. Eastern winds were good for Babel. Why she Eretz Lacha? Because Bavel in general was a more humid, had a lot more rain. The earth was moister. Machmas Memeha Liolam, Uli Eretz Yisrael, Kasha. But yet that same easterly wind was difficult for Eretz Yisrael. She Eretz Amayim, because of Maris Liyavish. So I say, all the Gemara says is that this whole discussion about winds depends on where you're living. Ultimately, again, some winds are good for Eretz Yisrael, some winds are good for Bavel. Not a contradiction. I will say, I'll just end off with one last piece, but this will conclude. Remember, the first miracle we started with in this discussion was the first of the ten miracles was Omdin Tzifufim Mishtachavim Revachim. Right? So again, when they would stand in the base, Hamikdash, whether it's the Ragalim, Yom Kippur, they would stand shoulder to shoulder, and when they would bow down, there would be room for everyone. So the Kutzker says something incredibly beautiful. He says, this is not just the din in the base, Hamikdash, it's a din in life. He says, Omdin, there are some people who always stand their ground. Some people who always have to be right. Some people, they're always all made. It's my way. It's my way. It's got to be my way. We'll say, what happens when you're always an omaid? What happens when you always stand your ground? When you always draw your line in the sand? Tzifufim. There's no room for anyone else in life. There's no room. There's no room. We all know people like that. <laughs> Some of us are people like that. And what happens? Right? It's impossible to coexist with people like that. When you're always right, and it always has to be your way, you need, leave no room for anyone else. But mishtachavim, mishtachavim, when you learn to yield, when you learn to yield, but see, yeah, there are some times you have to draw your line in the sand, and there are some times that you have to be unyielding, but the truth is, those times are few and far between. When you learn to yield, suddenly again, there's room for everyone. Know when to be an omade, know when to stand your ground, but those times are few and far between, and know when you do so, you will stifle those around you. But mishtachavim, Find the koach to yield, and amazingly enough, there's room for everyone. So Yabo said the miracles of the Beis Hamikdash were not just miracles for temple service, but they are miracles ultimately that taught us how to live our lives. Halavai, we should be zochemir Hashem to see those miracles and learn from those miracles again here, Rabbi Amenu, Amen. Hadron Alach Shiva Siyamim Rabbo Say Shkoyach Mazel Tov. Tomorrow we begin the new parak. Shkoyach.